The very first lesson that I can recall learning about forgiveness happened when I was just seven years old and in first grade. A friend of mine has stolen some things that belonged to me, and my parents told me that I needed to forgive him. He hadn't asked for forgiveness. He hadn't tried to make things right, and yet my parents told me that in my heart, I still needed to forgive him. But how could I forgive someone who had not asked for forgiveness? How could I forgive someone who had not attempted to make things right? This concept made no sense to me. Forgiveness is hard enough when, when someone says, I'm sorry, or someone says, please forgive me. Forgive me. Forgiveness is hard enough when, when you see efforts by the person to, to make things right. How much harder is it when these things, these words, are absent? I still find this concept of forgiveness quite challenging. I'm an adult now, and so I'm able to trick myself sometimes into thinking that I have forgiven someone. A few years back, someone hurt me in the things that they said and some things that they did. And in my mind, I would say, well, I've forgiven that person, and yet then I would find myself having the thought pop into my head, I can't believe they still haven't said they're sorry. And I have to wonder, have I truly forgiven them? As a seven-year-old, it was my parents who said to me, you just need to forgive from your heart, whether they say sorry or not. But as an adult, it's Jesus that communicates that to me. Today, Jesus tells me that I need to forgive without these things as well. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, the Bible reads, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I must admit that these words would be easier to push aside. They'd be easier to ignore. They'd be to, easier to rationalize away if it were not for the cross. On the cross, Jesus made seven statements, seven words we may call them, before he died. And over the next seven weeks, we are going to look at these seven words and and, and the first word, the first statement from Jesus addresses forgiveness. And the first word of Jesus might be very difficult, might be the, the most difficult for our very justice-minded 21st century ways. The first word of Jesus might be the, the most challenging to this culture that we live in known as the cancel culture. For those watching who might not have ever heard that term, cancel culture, I can tell you the cancel culture is the exact opposite of love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The cancel culture is a term used to describe when a group of people come together to shame someone who has done something objectionable or questionable or even just downright wrong. It is called canceling because the goal is to destroy or cancel a person socially, to ruin their lives socially. But these words of Jesus 
which is really actually a prayer of Jesus from the cross, make it very hard to justify that action. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Just take a second to think about what Jesus is saying there. When I think of those words, I I remember a story that I read years ago in a book entitled The Jesus I Never Knew. And and in that book, I read a story about a a man by the name of Pierre von Passan. And he wrote a memoir about about some of the things that he had observed and some of the things that, that he had experienced prior to the start of World War II. And he tells a story about, in his, in his memoir, he tells a story about a Nazi, some Nazi soldiers who came to the town and they seized an elderly Jewish rabbi and, and dragged him to their headquarters. They threw him into a room and, and at one end of the room was this rabbi, but at the other end of the room was another Jewish man being beaten to death. The soldier stripped this rabbi naked and commanded that he preach the sermon that he had prepared for that Sabbath synagogue service. The rabbi standing there naked asked if he could at least wear his yarmulke. And the Nazis agreed. They believed that it would add to their fun and to the humor of the moment. And so he put it on his head and then the naked, trembling rabbi began to preach, delivering in a raspy voice a sermon about what it means to walk humbly before God. While he was speaking, the soldiers were, were poking and prodding him in his nudity like, like a cow in a corral. It was a moment of deep humiliation. And I think of that, that picture of humiliation when I read these words. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him. Father, forgive them. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him naked and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. Father, forgive them. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again and again. Father, forgive them. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine and vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself Father, forgive them. There was written a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Father, forgive them. You know, it was easier for me as a first grader to ignore my parents when they told me that I needed to forgive the kid who stole from me, even though he had not asked for forgiveness, even though he had not attempted to make things right. 
It is easier for me to ignore my parents asking me to do that as a first grader than it is for me to ignore Jesus. The cross gives me no room to say, but Jesus, you don't understand just how, how unkind this person has been to me. Jesus, you don't really understand. They haven't even said sorry. The cross gives me no room to say, Jesus, you don't understand. They haven't even tried to make things right. I just hear ringing in my ears, Father, forgive them. But then this prayer actually takes on an even deeper dimension than me thinking about Jesus forgiving other people. But I realize that this prayer has something to do with me as well. Father, forgive them was not just for the high priest that called for Jesus' death. It was not just for, for Pilate who, who, who sentenced Jesus to die. It was not just for those who spit upon Jesus. It was not just for the, the crowds and the soldiers who were mocking and jeering him. It was not just for the, the criminals who were hanging next to him on the cross. Jesus also prayed this for me and for you. I hear Jesus' voice, Father, forgive Chad. I read Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was, he was crushed for our iniquities. Go ahead and insert your name in there. He was wounded for Chad's transgressions. He was, he was crushed for Chad's iniquities. Father, forgive Chad. Or what about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21? God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for Chad. Father, forgive Chad. Or Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while Chad was still a sinner, he died for him. Father, forgive Chad. It becomes really hard to tell Jesus it is foolish to pray for our enemies, to forgive them before they ask. When I realize that at one point in my life, at one time, I was the enemy of Jesus that he was praying for. A great author wrote in a book entitled Desire of Ages that, prayer, that the prayer of Christ for his enemies embraced the world. It took in every sinner that had lived or should live from the beginning of the world to the end of time. Upon all rests the guilt. Upon all rests the guilt of, the crucify, of crucifying the Son of God. Father, forgive all of them. Forgive them. It is this Jesus that prayed this prayer over me and that calls me to forgive others as he forgives. Now this topic of forgiveness is a challenging topic, as I said, whether you are a little kid or a grown adult. It is even more challenging for some who have, who have faced the most horrific things in their life. And I'm going to say something in, in just a moment, and, and if you've gone through some of these horrific things in your life, some sort of abuse emotionally or physically or or, or sexually or spiritually, if you've been abandoned in your life, and you may say, I'm not going to listen anymore. You're telling me to forgive those people. But don't tune me out. Hear what I'm going to say. When I read scripture, when I read verses like Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, forgive others as you have been forgiven in Christ, 
And when I hear the words of Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them, I read Jesus saying to all followers of Jesus, to all of us, that we are to forgive everyone that has ever wronged us. Yes, even our abusers, no matter what they have done. Now let me pause and say I know how hard that is. I know how challenging that is. I'm not saying that as a pastor that that glibly gets up and says, forgive and just, you'll be okay. When I was just five or six years old, I had a relative that thought it would be funny to take this little boy, this five or six-year-old, and set him in front of a TV and show him graphic and violent and explicit videos of women. That messed with a five or six-year-old's head. And when I was in high school, I, I was in, found myself in a situation that no high schooler should ever be in, one that I'm not going to talk about now, as people maybe from all over the world are watching. But it took me a lot of years to get over that incident that happened when I was, or I should say incidents that happened when I was five and six years old. To be able to send to this relative a note just shortly before he died saying that I forgave him. I forgave him, but my, my forgiveness didn't forget. If he were still alive today, I can tell you for certainty that my sons would be nowhere near him and have nothing to do with him. Forgiveness is not putting ourselves back into the situation. I also understand that forgiveness is not a, a quick process that never has to be done again. It's once and done and I'm good to go. I understand that it's a process and a journey and a repetition. It took me counseling after I was married to be able to say about some of the things that happened in, those, in that high school year. That was not my fault. I was not in the wrong. You were in the wrong. Which I finally said to the individual. But I also said to them, I forgive you. The person didn't ask for my forgiveness. And when I said I forgive you, they didn't say thank you. They just looked at me blankly. But I still forgave. And oh, by the way, sometimes in my mind, I have to go back and I have to forgive all over again. It reminds me of the story of C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, the great writer that many of us know as writing the Narnia Chronicles, But C.S. Lewis has a story of abuse in his life, and when he was a boy, he was terribly abused by a bully, someone who sought to ruin his life and to make him feel horrible about himself. The biggest problem with this is that that bully was also his teacher. And throughout his life, Lewis could not forgive his teacher. And being a failure at forgiving his teacher really troubled C.S. Lewis. It would make him angry that he did not have the strength to forgive his teacher. Just a few months before C.S. Lewis died, he wrote a letter to his friend Mary, and I want to read part of that letter to you. He said, Dear Mary, only a few weeks ago I realized suddenly that I had at last forgiven the cruel schoolmaster who so darkened my childhood. I'd been trying to do it for years, and each time I thought I'd done it, 
I found after a week or so, it all had to be attempted over again. But this time, I feel sure it is the real thing. I like what Lewis Smedes wrote. No doubt it was the real thing, but maybe if C.S. Lewis had lived, he would have had to forgive a few more times. That is how I feel sometimes about some of the things that happen in my life. I'm sure I've forgiven as Christ has forgiven me, but maybe I'll have to do it again next week. Maybe I'll have to do it again the week after that. But in spite of all that, I still believe that Jesus calls me to follow his example. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I still believe that Jesus calls me to pray for my enemies and to pray even, Father, forgive them. I believe Jesus asks us to do this because he knows that the more we practice forgiving to this extreme measure, the more we will value and appreciate the forgiveness that Jesus has given to us. When I practice forgiving someone else, I'm reminded that I was an enemy of Jesus and he prayed, Father, forgive Chad for what he has done. Ultimately, forgiveness is a balm, a medicine that heals our sin-sick soul. Just this last week, I had the privilege of visiting with a man who is a part of our church family, and he told me that I could share this story with you. He didn't want me to share his name, so I'll simply call him Jack. Jack told me that in 1968, shortly after Dr. Martin Luther King was shot, a number of jobs opened up for African Americans that had not previously been available to them in various segments of the government. And Jack, as a very young man, fresh out of the military, was offered a job to go and work as a computer engineer at the Kennedy Space Center down in Florida. Jack was living in Tennessee, in Memphis, Tennessee, and, and he was devastated by what had happened to Dr. Martin Luther King. And so he took this job and he went down to Florida, seeing it as a great opportunity. This looked like the opportunity of a lifetime, but within a short amount of time, Jack was ready to quit and come home. He was miserable. It's not because he was homesick. It's not because he couldn't handle the work. He was miserable because he had a boss that sought in every single way to destroy him, to make his life hell on earth. You see, his boss hated him because of the color of his skin. His boss was the lead Klansman, lead of the Ku Klux Klan in that territory in Florida. And while his boss had to hire him because of the government stipulations, his boss did not have to make him feel good about himself. His boss did not have to support him. His boss had the right to do everything he could to ruin Jack's life. And so Jack decided that he was going back to Tennessee. But shortly before that, he called up his grandma. And he told me, Chad, Pastor, my, my, my grandma had always been my spiritual guide, and I told her about my boss and that I was coming home. And she said, no, you're not. She said, here's what you're going to do. 
you're going to start praying for your boss. To him, this was unimaginable. This this man hated him because he was an African-American. This man hated him because, because he had to hire him, and all he wanted to do was kill him because of the color of his skin. How could he pray for a man like this who didn't want his forgiveness, who didn't want to be prayed for? But Jack listened to his grandma. He said, Pastor, she's a God-fearing woman, and I decided I needed to listen to her. And he said, so I began to pray for my boss. And then he leaned forward and he said, and Pastor, when I prayed for him, everything changed. Everything I'd love to say that the everything that changed was his boss stopped hating people because of the color of their skin or his boss stopped trying to ruin his life and his career or his boss renounced the clan and became a true follower of Christ but, but none of these things actually took place. When Jack said everything changed, what he meant was that his heart changed. God lifted something in him. And forgiveness became the balm that Jack's sin-sick heart needed. In this world in which we live, as we hear the words of Jesus ring, Father, forgive them. Maybe Jesus wants us to not only understand that he has forgiven us, but he wants to heal our hearts so that we too can have the balm in this sin-sick world.